the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir, and uh, welcome on board to this Thursday, April 23rd edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. addressing issues that impact your life and your world, and we plan to do more of the same. Coming up later on tonight, our number two, I believe it is, we're going to be joined by syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Dennis Prager. Dennis has got a new film out. You've heard me talk about it. Well, we're going to spend some time talking with Dennis about it. That's coming up tonight in the 6 o'clock hour. Also, John Kupal, the president of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, is going to join us a little bit later on in the first hour tonight to talk about an effort, and they've gotten far enough to gather the appropriate number of signatures, which means it could be coming to a ballot box near you, an effort to repeal a significant portion of California's Proposition 13. That's the one that prevents all of us from being strangled to death by increasing property taxes. Yeah, well, they're trying to unravel it at probably the worst time in history. And I'm sure that uh, John Kupel from the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association will help us understand why coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. Speaking of political matters with horrific timing, and we talked about this. Those of you that uh, follow the program on a consistent basis know that we've had some uh, um, concerns about Assembly Bill 5 that went into law earlier this year that kind of on the surface is wrapped up to be um, a means of protecting so-called gig workers in the state of California. (coughs) Pardon me, in the state of California, essentially saying that, well, a lot of companies use gig workers to avoid paying things like uh, workers' compensation, unemployment insurance, disability, etc., etc., and so we're going to um, do an en masse reclassification. They're all going to have to be classified now as employees. Well, that's decimating the gig worker economy, and not only in terms of bringing impact to those that, quite frankly, work as a gig worker because that's what they choose to do. That's what fits best to their scenario. But now, speaking of the worst time for a bill like this in history, when more and more people are unemployed, perhaps will be underemployed, and will out of necessity need to pick up some side jobs. They're not looking for long-term health care insurance. They're not looking for overtime. They're just looking for some extra money to make ends meet. And that's the reason why our next guest is working so hard to try and correct the ills and errors of AB5. Joining me now is California Senator John Morlack. He represents the 37th District, a large part of Southern California, including Orange County. And, Senator, thank you so much for being with us today. First, let me get your opinion. You've heard mine regarding AB5. Just how difficult does this make 
uh, life for people trying to pick up some side work. And then if you can, kind of help explain it to us, Senator, in light of the current economic crisis. Well, an honor to be with you, Craig. And I think your opening remarks kind of said it all. I can leave now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I would say that uh, as, a, as someone who was a practicing certified public accountant for many years, uh, dealing with the issue of what is a common law employee versus a independent contractor, which was even a, a, an issue of debate when it came to pastors of churches. Were they independent from the congregation or were they a common law employee? So I had a lot of fun in that space over 30 years ago. But the Internal Revenue Service had kind of you know, made some clear principles of what is independent and what is a common law employee. And we haven't had a problem with that. We had a trucking company known as Dynamex that sort of abused the law and thought that they could, you know, be a, a very aggressive, and they were, and they were called on it, and went all the way to the state Supreme Court, and, and then they decided to give three more tests. They called it the ABC test. I won't go into much detail, because uh, that's a lecture. But what the legislature decided to do was to adopt that Supreme Court case. The legislature has the right to change Supreme Court decisions. I even did it with a bill a couple of years ago. I won't go into the details, but, but, but instead of saying this bill is poor tax law, they went ahead and adopted it and said, hey, this would be a great way to make independent contractors employees, and then we can organize them and put them into unions. And so it was a rather crass vehicle for trying to restructure the economy of California and so now individuals that were maybe driving for uh, Uber or Lyft in the evenings occasionally to make a little extra money to maybe take their family on a vacation, uh, doing it independently and, and riding off their vehicles uh, as a business expense, now find themselves that they have to be an employee. But they're saying, wait a second, I don't work 40 hours a week as a taxi driver why don't those that work for Uber or Lyft that have made it a full-time career go ahead and paint their cars yellow and put a yellow cab sign on the car? But we're just doing this, you know, just for extra, you know, play money. And so it has really changed the whole way of how individuals are handled. A lot of uh, independent contractors have now been terminated by companies. A lot of them are now using people outside of the state to do independent contracting work, say like freelance writers. Uh, the AB5, the bill that was authored by Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher, has severe penalties uh, within it. So if you misclassify someone as an independent contractor, the certified public accountant or the enrolled agent or the attorney that's advising uh, the client could, could face severe penalties. It has become very onerous, and it has come at the worst time uh, in California history for its economy. You want to be able to provide opportunities for people to work, whether it's a, a, as an employee or an independent contractor. You don't want to mix it up. And what made AB5 even more egregious is that it had carve-outs. If you had enough money to convince legislators that maybe travel agents shouldn't be included, then you got carved out. And, and, a, and a bill shouldn't be vertical where it affects certain industries. It should be horizontal where everybody knows who is independent and who is not. And it has created a very confusing and onerous mess 
on employers, employees, independent contractors, businesses, and the economy. Well, and, and it's sad because, as you point out, Senator Morlock, it, it sounds as if if you had a strong lobby group in Sacramento, your group got the carve-out, and if you didn't, oh well. And, you know, even we in the radio industry quite often utilize independent contractors, and there's a set of California work wage laws that we have to be compliant with and very careful in, in who gets classified as what and make sure that we're behaving to the letter of the law. So there's already regulations in place that would protect somebody from being abused by an employer. I think what's most devastating about this, especially now, as people are struggling to make ends meet and they might find out that they've been cut back on their full-time job or they're trying to help out a maybe a relative, maybe a parent that's in financial straits, they've lost their job and they're trying to make the mortgage payment. So a son or a daughter says, hey, you know, we're going to do some moonlighting on the side and do this or that. We're not looking to get all of these other benefits and goodies here. We're just looking to pick up a little bit of extra money. And unfortunately, um, because of the short-sightedness of AB5, this this horrific ripple effect, this unseen consequence that was lurking in the background is now here to rear its ugly head. Now, if that was the end of the story, that would be disconcerting enough. But the good news is you have put together a new bill, Senate Bill 990, that hopes to correct the wrongs of AB5. Tell us about it. 990 would suspend AB5 for two years. It would say uh, to everyone, look, we need to put everything on pause. Right now is we're facing the mother of all recessions here, and we don't need to muddy the water with confusing and onerous new requirements designed basically to organize unions. And the unions sort of have their hands around the neck of the legislature. You don't want to uh, oppose them, and it, it, it is a sad state of affairs for this this state that, that the unions have that much influence and power. But we need to say, back off, hit the pause button, Let's let the economy do its thing as best as it can, and let's design a bill that is much more appropriate for the business community. The reason the IRS has done a good job of keeping the definition very specific on who's independent and who's not is because if you classify someone as independent and you're wrong, they come back in and say, hey, for the last three years, we're going to reclassify this person as an employee, and you are now subject to paying the Social Security tax, the FICA, for these individuals. So if you paid them 100000 a year, you now have a $15,000 bill for each year. So there's a $45,000 bill immediately to pay to the IRS, plus penalties and interest. That should be onerous enough to keep you vigilant about how you classify someone, and it shouldn't be arbitrary like AB5 is. Well, and I think at the end of the day, as you denoted in putting this on pause, this is something that quite frankly, logically should have happened, the current crisis notwithstanding. So the crisis just gives greater urgency to a measure like this. Put it on pause, give a chance for it to really have the nuts and bolts reviewed again and see if some of the, the horrific in, inequalities that are inherent to AB5 can be dealt with. Um, California legislature, it's in it's in the Senate right now. Um, for folks to get involved and help you get this bill passed, what do we need to do? Well, we, we're still waiting to get back to Sacramento, Craig. And, and by the way, that was a great response. No wonder you're such a wonderful radio talk show host. But the issue now is that I think most of my Democrat colleagues, those on the other side of the aisle, 
are really embarrassed that they voted for this bill. And, and we have to put pressure on the, the committee chairs that are looking at SB 990 to make sure they don't kill it prematurely because the, right now they're trying to reduce the, the workload so that we can have a, just a minimal amount of bills to do this year when we return on May 4th or maybe later uh, to address the budget and, and, and these bills. So you need to start calling the Democrats. They were the ones that actually voted for this bill. The Republicans did not, but for one, and he was not uh, reelected in the primary uh, this March, uh, which will show you how upset the voters are. Indeed so. Well, it's solid advice, and I appreciate you taking time, Senator Morlock, to to join us and to illuminate my listeners on what's going on with this measure and the opportunity to help right the wrong. And, you know, folks, I just want to emphasize that right now, opening up every single window, door, trap door, corner pocket, whatever it might be, of opportunity to help Californians make money and survive this crisis needs to be the second priority, health being first, the second priority at every layer of government. And so good opportunity now. If you're not sure who your state senator is, you can simply Google who's my state senator, um, put in your zip code, it'll tell you who, how to contact them, and you get a little extra time in your hands. So make it productive, contact your member of the state Senate and say, please vote in favor of Senator John Morlach's Senate Bill 990. California needs it and it needs it now. Our thanks to the Senator for being with us again, California Senator John Morlach, representing the 37th District. Thanks so much to Senator for your time and your hard work on behalf of California. Thank you. All right, 518, take care. We're going to head over to the KFAX Traffic Center a little bit late, but let's get caught up on some traffic for you right now with the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. I want to pivot to the issue of the stay-at-home order. Certainly all of us have been frustrated by it and anxious to get back to work, and I think that it needs to be certainly measured by what the health experts are telling us. Um, but as much as we've suffered from the lockdown here at many levels in the United States, you can't imagine what the ripple effect has been in the nation that has the largest lockdown in history. Uh, how about trying to do it with more than a billion people? Well, the Prime Minister of India has done just that. He's just extended, in fact, the strict nationwide lockdown of India until May the 3rd, essentially placing India's 1.3 billion people, that's one out of every six in the world if you need a little help with the math, under stay-at-home orders. And this is having a devastating impact. And while certainly we applaud India, their efforts have put a cap on the number of exposures and deaths. In fact, if you look per capita, they are doing significantly better than the United States is. But that said, there's so much at risk for day laborers and people that count on working with no social net at all. And as we're going to learn from Danny Johanan, the vice president of Gospel for Asia Ministries. Um, sadly, there's no bailout package. There's not going to be any um, stimulus checks in the mail. People are just literally left to fend for themselves. And sadly, Danny, that means many of them are going to be literally left to die. Welcome to the program. It's it's shocking what's going on. No, it is. It is uh, very. Uh, heartbreaking and saddening, you know, uh, like you said, you know, we do applaud the efforts of the government officials to really 
uh, curve the the uh, spread of the coronavirus. I mean, it is it is one of those things where I do not envy any uh, war leader, whether it's our president, you know, President Trump and Vice President Pence. You know, we pray for them often. Um, or Prime Minister Modi, or any other country leader, where you have to literally make decisions uh, that the ramifications affect uh, millions of people's lives. And so, uh, you know, you talk about over 1.4 billion people in India and millions in the slums and other places. Um, This is a very difficult decision to make, but at the same time, do you risk having millions of people infected and possibly dying of death, or do you watch people not have enough food? Uh, to survive. And so this is where, you know, I, I am so grateful that so many uh, have taken up the the baton of uh, being a salt and a light during this time uh, where it just seems it, it it's hopeless and helpless. And at the same time, you see so many people being helped with food and care and medical facilities, even in places like India and Sri Lanka, Nepal, and many of the places where Gospel for Asia and our field partners are serving together. And so, you know, like you said, this is this is a tremendous time, a very difficult time that everyone around the world is living in great anxiety and fear. And like I said to so many people, you know, for those who know God, it is one of those things where I believe um, it is a stripping away of all the things that we think are so necessary to life. We fill every cracking moment of our day with things to entertain ourselves or distract ourselves. I mean, really, there's only so many coffee uh, challenges we can do, upside down eating cheese challenges or whatever other challenge we have out there on the Internet. Uh, but for those who don't know God, it is really a, a, a very powerful uh, lesson in how fragile life is, that we are not indestructible, and that just because we have money or resources doesn't keep us safe from things that you can't even see, like the coronavirus. And so, but the greatest challenge is for those, uh, those of us who know God, that it is a stripping away of things in our life that we think are so important, and we realize really it's not that important. And it brings us back to focus, focus on realizing that what matters is what is done for eternity, that we live our life in light of eternity, and we have an eternal perspective on things, not just the here and now and what makes me happy at the moment. And this is our heart's cry. Gospel Praise's heart's cry is this, that people who don't know Christ would come to know Christ, and that our goal is to bring as much um, of the tangible, practical love of Christ to those who are still waiting. And, of course, at a critical time, because in addition to... (laughs) This is the joy of working from home. (laughs) At least it's not a dog dog barking. In addition to uh, just the widespread needs that we're seeing everywhere, uh, one of the big concerns, maybe you can speak to this, Danny, and that is that those that are the most vulnerable end up getting hit the hardest in these types of crises, in these circumstances. And of course, you know, beyond the lack of a social net across the country in any structured fashion, uh, children, children at the greatest at risk, aren't they? You know, I think children and the elderly are, are the ones at greatest at risk. It is, it's one of those things where, you know, diseases and viruses and things, um, as simple as malaria, um, um, have no favorites. Uh, you, you, you know, you can't, you can't just say, well, I'm young, I'm strong, or, you know, I exercise and therefore I won't get something like this. 
Um, but you, you're absolutely right. You know, children are very vulnerable to so many different things in life, whether it's disease or being kidnapped or the sex trade or bonded labor. Um, this is one of the great challenges and things that break our heart. And also you see even uh, Christ in the Gospels, his heart was broken so many times when he saw children suffering. In fact, he said, let the little children come to me. Um, one of the challenges that we've often seen is there are literally hundreds of thousands of children who are uh, beggars on the streets of some of these major cities in Asia. And you, you talk about uh, harsh reality is many of these kids and others don't even have anyone to beg from. So not just the daily laborers, but beggars who don't have anyone to beg from, can't make uh, ends meet, even just trying to provide food on the table for themselves. And so um, this is something that, you know, you can actually lose heart and you can actually be extremely discouraged unless it pushes you to pray like Jesus told his disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 4, lift up your eyes and see the fields. What he was trying to tell them to do is, is not get distracted by just their hunger of their food that they had brought back, you know, from the village after Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, but to realize there's something more important, which is to see those who need to know Christ and his love for them. And the same challenge for us also is when we see difficulties, like you're talking about, where children are at great risk, beggars who have no one to beg from, daily laborers who, who have nothing to get anymore, uh, and people who are starving. It should drive us at least to pray, God, would you please do more out there? You know, it's like what Mother Teresa said in, in summarizing one of her statements, if you can't feed the thousand, at least feed the one. We should never be discouraged by what we can do for God, it is not too little for God when it is done for Him. And so whether it is going to your neighbor who is right next to you and just making sure they have, you know, food or toilet paper, making sure that the elderly person in your community, maybe you go shopping for them, whatever it may be, this side of the world or the other side of the world, as long as we do it in the name of Christ and we do it for God's glory, He will see that people are helped. And so as we pray and we do all that we can, this is the greatest challenge that we have. But it is one of those things where children are at great risk. But what I'm most proud of is a couple of things that Gospel for Asia has been doing for many years, and one is providing clean water projects. Gospel for Asia puts more clean water projects than anyone else in the entire world. It's amazing. Providing clean water right in a village, deep wells, biosand filters, sanitation projects. And we've done this for years and years and years, and now we're seeing the fruit of it right in the middle of this crisis. People have clean water. They don't have to walk away from their village. They don't have to go anywhere. It's already been brought to them. And then you see that, you know, through the Bridge of Hope, over, you know, 70,000 kids that we were helping, you know, you see that we've been teaching them already for years how to wash their hands, hygiene, sanitation. And so, so many thousands and thousands of people have already been helped and being prevented from catching this disease. And what, a, what an awesome privilege to be part of this, and so many who have stood with us to see many, many children helped, tens of thousands of children helped and prevented from catching this disease just because of what they learned in the Bridge of Hope ministry and clean water projects that have been brought in. It's an amazing chance to see God at work right now.
And I think the other thought here, too, and one we all to be, need to be mindful of, is and that is that this is a golden opportunity, an appointed hour, I believe, for the church to really shine strong and shine bright, as so many are questioning their own mentality, they're looking for answers, and of course, being able to share the hope of the gospel is so critically important. You want to get more information about the work that Gospel for Asia is doing in many parts of the world, but most importantly, as we've talked today about the nation of India, I invite you to check them out online at GFA. Think GFA as gospelforasia.org. That's gfa.org. Danny O'Hannon, Vice President of Gospel for Asia, we appreciate the update. 532 from KFAX. Let's get you an update right now on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're going to spend just a quick moment working through some basic math. And before we do that, let me preface by saying, in 1978, California state residents drew the proverbial line in the sand as they had watched year after year after year local municipalities and counties and the state dip into their pocketbooks at unbelievable levels through the functionality of a certain little tax called your property tax. And if you don't own a home, don't pretend as if it doesn't impact you because part of what you pay to rent the home that you're in or to rent the apartment that you're in covers the landlord's property tax. But to to give you the math, if in 1978 California's Proposition 13 had not passed... Do you know what the average annual property tax bill would look like in California for the average home here in the Bay Area? I'm talking the average home, nothing fancy, maybe three bedrooms, four tops, two-car garage, two bathrooms, maybe enjoying 1,800, 2,000 square feet if you're really lucky. Your annual property tax bill would be over 26 thousand dollars per year think about what you you just paid a scant uh today's the 23rd 13 days ago two weeks ago and how you really would be choked to death to the point of just not being able to afford to either rent or live in california at twenty six thousand six hundred dollars for an annual property tax bill well as much as Californians have been rescued by Proposition 13. That was passed in 1978, and I think two days after it got passed, they were trying to figure out how to get around it. So far, we've held them at bay, but there is a new measure that um, has just collected an ungodly number of signatures here uh, that's attempting to try and undo a big part of it. And might, might I add, at probably the worst time ever. Let's find out what's going on. John Kupal joins us. He is the president of the Harvard uh, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. John, taking some time with us today, we really appreciate it. Um, tell us a bit about what's afoot here with uh, this puh, very ineptly titled, quote, California Schools and Local Communities Funding Act of 2020. Well, there's a, there's a duplicitous mouthful. <laughs> uh, it is. It's amazing that they didn't put in there 
uh, protects puppies and kittens too. You know, uh, yeah. but 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 the reality is, uh, Craig, and thank you for having me on. This is just another iteration of what we call a split roll property tax. It is an effort to deprive uh, business and commercial property from the benefits of Proposition Thirteen. Uh, and by splitting the role, what, what do we mean by that? And that is California has always taxed all real estate at the same rate. It's treated everybody the same way. It, it didn't pick winners and losers. And Prop 13 did not create a loophole for businesses uh, with the way it, uh, it was created. California has had what we call a unified role since the 1800s, and Prop 13 did not change that. Uh, now, Prop 13 did come in and say, instead of an average property tax rate of 2.6%, we're going to limit it to 1%. And more importantly, we're going to limit the annual increases in taxable value to 2% a year. And then property is reassessed to full market value when it changes hands. Well, they, the, the proponents of this measure want to take away that provision for commercial and industrial property, which translates into a $12 billion a year property tax hit. And I'm glad you pointed out that, uh, that when, you know, apartment owners, uh, obviously they will have to pass these cash, uh, costs along to, uh, everybody else. And of course, as consumer taxpayers, if your grocery store is paying more in property taxes, that's going to show up in your grocery bill. Keep in mind, California has one of the highest cost of living in uh, in the United States, and this proposal would exacerbate that. So, this thing isn't just not ready for prime time. This is about the eighth to tenth time they've tried to so-called split the role. Um, all the previous times have been a failure. This one is drafted in a way that is flawed. Uh, the uh, county assessors hate it. If you don't believe me. Uh, if your listeners don't believe me, call your county assessor and ask him, what do you think about this split roll proposal and prepare to get an earful because it's it's virtually impossible to implement. So there's a lot of things wrong with it. We are mounting a strong defense of Proposition 13. The business community is part of our broad coalition. They understand what's at stake. Uh, the public sector unions, the folks who want all of your money, they will push forward on this. And we're in for a hell of a fight, but quite frankly, I like our odds because Prop 13 still resonates with California voters. And uh, I just don't think, as you pointed out, in this age, people are ready for a tax hike. Well, moreover, let's look at the, the broader implications of this. When we talk about property tax hikes and splitting the roles and saying, okay, now, it doesn't impact you if you're a homeowner, but if you own commercial real estate of any sort, look out. And people say, well, that's it. These big commercial real estate holders, they're, they're the one percenters. They're the fat cats. They can afford all this. Well, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. What's going to happen is, and you've alluded to this, John, those expenditures are going to be passed on. And given the fact that the largest employer in California, it's not Elon Musk up the road here in the Bay Area, it's not the Hollywood industry, it's none of that. It's small business owners. It's mom-and-pop stores that employ a handful of people who either own buildings if they're fortunate outright or have to rent a building, rent in a shop, maybe in a strip mall, whatever it might be, 
the expenditure of this massive multi-billion dollar increase in taxes will be passed on to these small business owners and the likelihood, particularly under the current economic crisis climate, the likelihood of people just saying, you know what, I, I'm done. I, I, you've just managed to break, you found the straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back. I'm done. Throwing yeah. more people out of work, more businesses shuttering their doors. We've not begun to see the impact of the COVID-19 financial crisis on a state like California. And then to have the audacity to come up with something like this and even suggest that Californians sit there and vote in favor of it. I mean, th this ought to be more aptly named the California State Economic Destruction Measure of 2020, because that's exactly what it would do. I think that's right. And if you look at what happened in March... Uh, the voters of the state of California, for the first time since the 1980s, rejected a statewide school bond. Uh, th that is a rare occurrence. And keep in mind, a, uh, a statewide school bond doesn't even come with a tax increase. And many local tax measures also failed. So, again, one of the, I, I put out a tweet today uh, that simply said uh, that, that voters are rejecting these tax increases not because they don't like public services. We all do. But there is a perception, based in reality, that we're not getting the services that we're paying for. And people are tired of this. And your point about small businesses, the other side, the proponents of this measure, are going to trot out Chevron Corporation and Disney saying that these people are getting away with murder. But they're not going to be talking about Manny's Muffler Shop or Susie's Alterations. You just pointed out that these small businesses... The taxes will be passed along to them, but even more directly than you believe, because most of these small businesses rent their properties in what are known as triple net leases. Triple net leases require that the tenants immediately absorb all the tax hikes that the landlord, landlord would otherwise have to pass. So when you talk to your small business person, ask them if they own their building, a few of them do, not a lot, but the, the ones that don't probably lease and ask them if they have a triple net lease, and they will probably say yes. And so they, they are well aware. The National Federation of Independent Business is all over this, as is the California Farm Bureau. The proponents will say that agricultural property is exempt, but that's just the land. It doesn't count the packing facilities, all the industrial infrastructure associated with agriculture will be taxed higher. So I, all these points, Craig, will come out in the next six months, and when all is said and done, we hope to bury this proposal by a very large margin. And boy, I, I tell you what, we would all applaud that, because anything short of that um, could be absolutely devastating to the California state economy. Now, uh, it's long before they go through and tally the over 1.7 million signatures and, and all of that and verification and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, assuming that this does make it to the ballot measure in November, uh, you need to be steadfastly behind this. We also need to be helping organizations like the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association get the word out. People need to understand just how duplicitous the title of this measure is, the California Schools and Local Communities Funding Act of 2020, uh, also known as how to destroy the state of California's small business person in one easy step. So um, getting 
educated and getting the word out to important steps toward defeating this and certainly standing behind organizations like um, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, critically important. John, if folks want to get more information, get educated on this, um, are there details and information available through the uh, HJTA.org website? Oh, yes. We have tons of information on split roll. On, uh, we have a whole series of taxpayer action tools. Uh, we have a, a place where people can sign up and for our emails. We send out email updates on your rights as a taxpayer and as a property owner in the state of California. It's a very uh, well-resourced and, and updated daily website. So we hope people go to hjta.org. Absolutely. And, and, and let me mention a lot of folks, uh, Howard's been gone for, my goodness, 35, probably going on 40 years now. But he, he was a tremendous advocate of Californians and left behind this most incredible legacy. Few people can cite a proposition number related to any proposition ever passed in the history of propositions in California. But I'll guarantee you this, almost to a person, if you pay a property tax bill every year, you know Proposition 13. And if you know Proposition 13, you should know Howard Jarvis. And if you understand what the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is doing, they are literally a line of defense to protect Californians from what is in this case, and many others, but in this case, an example of one of the most egregious financial grabs that we have seen in probably decades. So uh, get behind what they're doing. Get educated information available on the web, as John mentioned. Uh, just think of the initials, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. So that's H-J-T-A, H-J-T-A dot O-R-G. And I'd like to thank John Kupol, the president of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, for that update. John, thanks for the time. Let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you, Craig. All right, you take care now. All right, let's uh, get a time out here and get you updated on traffic. Head over to the KFAX Traffic Center.